Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kirikides, joined by my wonderful co-host, Keith Glasser. Keith, how are we doing? Great, how are you? Excited to be back. Um, we got a, a interesting topic today, one that I think that has been due for some talking to. Um, we'll see where it ultimately takes us, but today we're going to focus on scholarships and the types of offers that are out there from uh, both a scholarship and a non-scholarship perspective. And I think We'll end up tackling the scholarship piece here first. Um, and there's quite a bit of information to break down here. So I'm, I'm going to kick it off with kind of the high level of Division One and Division Two from a from a pure number standpoint, scholarship-wise. So Division One baseball, got 11.7 scholarships for fully funded programs. You got a 40-man roster. 32 of those players can be on scholarship. Call them counters. In order to get an athletic scholarship, you need to receive at least 25%. There is a minimum scholarship at the Division I level. So there's the Division I breakdown. Division II, which is the other NCAA level that offers scholarships, you get nine full scholarships for a fully funded program, and that money can be divvied up any way, shape, or form across that. So you don't, there's no minimum offer, there's no maximum offer. You get nine scholarships. Do so it as you please at the Division II level. If you want to offer somebody a thousand bucks and somebody else forty, you can do so. Did I miss anything there? No. Good. Um, I think one of the things that people often talk about is this this stacking, the, the stacking conversation. You want to shed a little bit of light into how that can work at certain schools? Yeah, stacking is is really the idea or the, the practice of being able to stack academic and other aid on top of the scholarship money that is athletic-based only um, to make the entire package. Now, it's up to every single individual institution um, as to whether or not you can stack or you cannot stack. Some can, some can't, um, you know, so there's no real unofficial list out there of, of schools that you can say, I mean, outside of, you know, really the, the non-scholarship programs that, you know, really just rely on no academic or no athletic aid, um, you know, but there's no real list. And I think it really changes year to year um, based off the institution and, and what they decide that they want to do there. So the, the real nuts and bolts of it is that you're going to have the opportunity at some schools to be able to take your athletic money and also get the package, your academic and merit and whatever else on top of that to create your entire package. Whereas other schools, you're going to have to choose between the athletic money or the academic merit, financial aid, whatever it is that that school um, will offer you. So, you know, the, it, it's two distinct things. And, and like I said, it varies school to school. Um, you know, so it is, you know, usually if you're going through that process and you're going to be getting that, like these types of offers, they're going to be able to distinguish and, and explain and walk you through that process um, as to, you know, what each school will allow. Um, you know, but in, in you know, I, I guess in, in some instances, it's going to be that the you know, you're, you might end up getting less athletic money 
because you're going to get a lot more academic and financial aid. You know, so they might view you as a 40% guy, but you might only get 25% athletic money because you're getting the rest of that money made up in the academic and, and that type of stuff. Whereas another school, they might view you as a 40% guy and they have to give you that 40% or you only get 25% in the academic money. So it's, it can get a little convoluted there. Um, I hope I didn't confuse our listeners in saying that. Um, but like, that's kind of the, the way that it works, um, school to school. And, and like I said, it's, it's literally school to school. There's no rule and then there's no NCA rule. This is literally an NC or a, excuse me, this is an institutional rule that they will put in place based off of what they deem necessary with athletics and financial aid. Yeah. And the mix and match can be, can be different everywhere as well. So like some schools might only do academic and athletic and if you qualify for one of those you don't get any merit money some of them to your point you might be a 30 percent athletic scholarship guy but your financial aid package comes back at 50 percent, and you have to choose between the two and i've actually heard funny stories of people picking the lesser money because they wanted to be on scholarship as opposed to taking the financial aid but the coaches that you work with, if you're lucky enough to get a money offer at a Division One school, like they'll generally break it down for you very clearly in terms of, hey, this is the total package. A lot of times they'll use dollar amounts in terms of percentages. It's easier to work with percentages because we're not, you know, every school's cost is a little bit different. But they'll typically say, hey, you know, tuition, $60,000, we're going to give you thirty in baseball money and you're going to get another fifteen in academic. And then there's potential for financial aid if you qualify. And you'll usually know beforehand. I mean, most families know whether they're going to qualify for financial aid um, pretty early. So if it's a $60,000 school, you got 30 baseball, you got 15 academic, you're paying, you're on the hook for $15,000, right? And, you know, like like you said, some schools can do it, some schools can't. Um, if they can do it, everybody will do it because they want to make sure that they can make it as affordable as possible for people. Um, you know, so if they have the ability to stack, they're going to take advantage of it. We harp on it a lot, but I think that that highlights the importance of academics for kids in doing well in school, because if there's academic money that can be offered on top of whatever baseball money you have, you want to make sure that you did everything possible in the classroom as a high school player to have access to that money um, because it can be a game changer when you're talking about dollar amounts, you know, with the cost of schools. If you're, if you're not going to an in-state school, if you're going to a private institution, you're basically looking at at least $60,000 tuition pretty much everywhere ballpark it, but you know, definitely 50, probably more like 60 at pretty much every private institution. Um, there's very rarely, a 100% baseball offer and anything over 50 is a big, that's a big boy offer. So if you want to close that gap on the other 30 or $40,000 that are left over, the best way to do it is to be, is to do well in school. Yeah. You know, I think the, I, I'm laughing for those of you that can see me on camera. Cause I was talking to my wife about what we were going to talk about. And she was like, can you guys at least highlight the fact that there are very rarely, if ever, a full 100% scholarship? Um, and it's true, especially in baseball. Like, you know, with 11.7 at the Division One level, 
you know, and I think one of the reasons why we started with the, the ability for some programs to stack and others to might not be able to is that, you know, the, the, the more money that programs can save if they can stack allows them to offer more scholarship money to more players. You know, whereas if you can't stack that 11-7, you, you're, you know, is really going to take up less of a percentage of your program being on scholarship versus the programs that can because they can stretch that 11-7 a lot further with the ability to stack. You know, and that's that's an important distinction to make because, you know, uh, to your point, and, and it, it is true, like, you know, when I was in, when I coached the Division One level, we offered one full scholarship. And it was to a guy whose dad played for Coach Rossi and ended up, we knew, wasn't going to come play at Siena. He ended up playing at uh, University of Virginia, won a national championship, and got drafted in like the fourth round, second round or third round, and played pro ball for a while. You know, but that was the type of kid there that, you know, we offered 100% to. You know, but very rarely it, it does that ever really happen. That doesn't necessarily mean that you might not get close if programs can stack and, and things work out in your way. Um, you know, but from an initial standpoint, like it is exceedingly rare that you will see somebody be offered 100% baseball money, especially in today's day and age. Yeah. If you're, if you get to, if you get a 50% baseball offer, they think you're an absolute bro. Um, a lot of times, most of those bigger offers are going to go to position are going to go to pitchers. Um, and we'll break down kind of like the high level of what 11-7 can look like on a roster at any given time um, from a scholarship perspective. But um, you start getting into that 50-60% range, that, that program is telling you that you're a big part of what they're trying to build or what they're what they're continuing to do from a success standpoint. And, um, you know, under, understanding how schools spend money and where they spend money, I think, is another another part of this scholarship equation that should frame some things up for, for people in terms of how much money to expect and kind of frame and get an idea of, you know, what kind of value a coach puts on you. First and foremost, if you're getting baseball money, they have, they value you. Um, it doesn't mean that if you don't get baseball money, they don't value you, but if they're willing to give you money out of the box, they're telling you that they're making a commitment for you for at least one year. Some schools, They'll hold those scholarships for four, um, but it's not mandated by the NCAA. Um, and that sometimes gets lost in the sauce a little bit too, is that people think, well, I got a 50% offer. Well, you know, that's you, that's one year renewable. Um, some schools will hold, will hold coaches to it. And then if you offer a scholarship, that kid is on scholarship until he leaves the institution, um, regardless of his status on the team. But in general, they're renewable. But from a breakdown perspective, you got 11.7 scholarships. General rule of thumb, right? This is not an absolute for all of you listening. Like there's going to be some nuance here, but if we're going to ballpark it and you're going to break up those 11.7, this is kind of how a program would, would generally break it up. You're going to spend six of those scholarships, a little bit over half on pitchers. You're going to spend a lot of money on arms. Um, can't win without them. It's that simple. Like baseball is a run prevention sport, always has been, always will be. And the better you are on the mound, the better chance you have to win. So usually you're going to spend your money on pitchers. So about 50% go to pitchers. So six scholarships there. You're going to spend 
one to one and a half, maybe. You know, we'll call it 1.25 on catchers. Um, so you're probably going to have three scholarship catchers, definitely, definitely two on a, on a given roster, but probably three scholarship guys that you're looking to develop. You'll probably spend about two full scholarships on outfielders. You'll spend about two and a half scholarships on infielders. And for those of you who are doing the math, yes, I know I'm off by 0 0.05. I just didn't want to say 0.245 for infielders, but so we'll just call it two and a half. Um, but that should give you an idea of how, in general, schools are going to spend their money. Are they going to break the mold on some guys? Yes. If you got an absolute stud catcher, you might end up spending two scholarships at your, your, your catching position because you've got a dude who you think's a premium defender who's got a chance to hit in the middle of your order. Maybe that's a 75% dude because you think he's a three-year starter who's going to hit in the three spot. Those guys pop up. Super bro playing shortstop somebody super special in center field, like you break the mold for certain positions, but I'd say it's a pretty, pretty good high level draw there. Would you make any adjustments to that math there, coach? No, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I, generally speaking, we're going to be in the center of the field um, and then outward from there. So I would not make any adjustments to your um, 2.45 scholarships. I knew you were going to call me out on that. <laughs> um, the other thing to note here is 32 counters, right? So automatically there has to be eight guys on every roster that are quote unquote walk-ons because you can't have 40 guys on scholarship. So how you break those guys down is going to matter too. And sometimes those are guys that you go and recruit. You really like them. You know, they're going to get either a ton of financial aid or a ton of merit money. And you recruit them knowing that you're not going to give them any baseball money. Sometimes they're just pure kind of walk-on guys. Um, we both had some experience in doing that. And what are your thoughts on kind of those last eight roster spots? And how did you view them when you were, when you were coaching? I mean, you're looking for guys that you can develop into, you know, initially role players, um, you know, and, and then hope that those guys – are going to be able to step into roles as you know as early as sophomore year and then you know juniors and seniors and kind of you know go from there um you know I, I think it is important to note that scholarship money does become available for players that are on a current roster like you can be scholarshiped when you're in school um you know so that's always you know not to say that it's the proverbial carrot on a stick but that is something that is you know available to players when they're there. And I think the other part of it too is, you know, some of those guys that are the the eight walk-ons or, you know, however many they are that are recruited, like you could be recruiting those guys and and legitimately think that they're 25% guys, but they might end up getting 30 or 40% in academic money. Like, you know, I, that's where you have that conversation of like, hey, like we're only gonna if you can't stack like we're only going to give you 25 percent of athletic money or you can get 40 percent in academic money because you're a super smart kid you know and that like that's kind of the you know the game within the game that you play in balancing the books there where you might be able to get somebody else with um you know with some with that extra athletic money that you know you could save because you know you have some walk-ons that have really good grades and are good you know, and, and the reality is like once those kids get to campus, like 
it doesn't matter, right? Like the vast majority of guys, especially in baseball that are going to be on scholarship are all relatively in the same number bracket of, of money. Like, are there going to be some guys around a little bit more? Yeah, there are just, it's like anything else, but the vast majority of those 32 guys, if all 32 guys are on scholarship, like you can figure it out. Like it's, it's going to be relatively the, uh, the, uh, the same amount of money, you know, but that doesn't preclude the guys that are walk-ons from not taking their spots. You know, we've talked about this before, like the kids who work really hard and are really good and are going to help you win. They're going to find themselves in the lineup over the guys that aren't really going to help you win, regardless of whether or not you're on scholarship money. But I think, you know, initially it becomes kind of a, you know, can we see this guy developing into a guy that can help us, you know, as a development piece, uh, you know, as a freshman, really work with him. He's going to work hard and then develop into a guy sophomore, junior, senior year. Whereas I think sometimes when, you know, you're giving out some scholarship money, you're like you're looking for those guys to kind of be, you know, in the mix the second they set, you know, maybe not the second they set foot on campus, but definitely during their freshman year, you want them to be in the mix, pushing guys and, and trying to challenge for playing time. Whereas, you know, kind of the walk on is like, okay, like, I don't know if he's really going to play a whole lot his freshman year, but I can certainly see him developing and, and working into a, a role during his sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, you know, but again, it's you get there and you progress and you do really well and you're going to help us win. Like you're going to be a lineup. Like that's just that that's every level division one, two, three, Juco and AI doesn't matter. If you're going to help people win, you're going to find yourself in the lineup. Yeah. And I think that's really important to know for, for people is that once you get there, it's a meritocracy. Nobody cares how much scholarship you're on. I, I've been in the room. Hundreds of times when the the lineups are written, and at, at no point has anybody ever mentioned, "Well, we're starting, we're starting so and so at third base today." But like the other guys on more scholarship money, we should start him. Like it doesn't matter. Nope. It, it's it's all going to come down to what you do. And I think the other thing that I want to, I kind of want to foot stomp here that you mentioned is that the kids who show up every day and do things with a ton of energy. And they do all the right things. They're on time. They're wearing the right uniform. They're to the bus on time. They they run hard. They work hard. They're a good teammate. Somehow, some way, those dudes always end up finding a way to help you win a game, whether they can be a really good defensive replacement or somebody who just ends up getting an opportunity and then he gets another opportunity and then another opportunity. And next thing you know, that guy's an everyday starter because I've, I've watched it everywhere I've gone. You've watched a guy who you didn't expect to be a dude end up being a key contributor to a good team. Um, you know, some really guys listen, and just because you don't get a scholarship offer, make no mistake about it. You got to earn what you get no matter what, but don't let that be a deterrent. You know, if you find a place that's a good fit, you really like a coach staff, or you think you got an opportunity to play, like it, it's not always about the money. Um, now, if money's a big part of the equation from a financial perspective, then yeah, that's a, that's a, a different conversation. But when you're talking pure baseball here, once you get on campus, nobody cares. Um, least of not the coaches. Uh, you know, you might joke, you know, you might feel shitty if you're a coach and you put 70% into a kid and two years in, he can't play for you. Like that's always a tough one to swallow, but uh, you know, it happens. Yeah, coaches miss. I thought that was a new thing. I thought that was the only reason the transfer portal existed. No, it's not. <laughs> we digress for 45 seconds <laughs> to make light of it. But yeah, coaches miss. Like it's it's a thing. 
they're going to miss on scholarship guys. They're going to miss on walk-ons. Like, is what it is. Um, you know, but you're right. Like, if you find the place that fits, like, you know, it, it, it depends, you know. And I think the other thing that is nuanced in this discussion, whether it's Division One or Two, and Division Two has nine scholarships, and they can distribute those how they how they see fit. But you know, I, I think the the one kind of thing that gets lost is, you know, uh, how much money you're getting offered at a school. You know, relatively is going to tell you how much they you know view you. Um, you know, but that being said, with depending on their stacking or even if they're fully funded. And again, there's no real list out there where you can go and be like, okay, who's fully funded and who's not, um, you know, but like the, the 25% from a school that's fully funded is going, you know, theoretically is less than the 25% from a school that has six scholarships, because that is a substantial amount of money out of six scholarships versus the 11, seven, you know, so like it's, you know, it's not always going to be an apples to apples comparison when you start talking about, well, I got 25% from this school and 25 from here and 30 from here, you know, that 25 from that school that only has six scholarships, like that means a little bit more that they're giving you that 25% versus the schools that are fully funded that are offering 25 or 30, you know, that, that that's a bigger piece of the pie that they're giving you, you know, so it's, you know, I, I, I think nowadays people are a little bit more open to to kind of saying those types of things in the recruiting process of like hey like this is kind of what we have we're you know we're not fully funded whatever um and, and kind of laying that out there so you, you you can understand that but i think it's it's important to at least for us to say this like you know if schools are not fully funded and they're offering a substantial amount of money like that means a lot more than you know the the fully funded it's not to say that you know the 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 11 7 and you know the flip side you know, it's not to say the school that's fully funded that is offering you 25 doesn't value you any more or any less. It's just like they know they have a lot more money that they can deal with and they need to go get more guys on scholarships. So they're going to offer 25% and see what happens. You know, so it's 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 a lot more nuanced, I think, than the proverbial and I've heard it, you heard it, I heard it when I was growing up, I heard it when I played, I heard it when I coached, you know this guy's on, you know, he got a full ride scholarship to like, no, he didn't like not a thing. It's okay. But you know, it's, it's going to vary school to school and you know, oh, he's on 70% here. Or he's on 60% here. Like it, 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 it varies school to school program to program, you know, things like that. So it's a lot more, you know, nuanced than just being like, well, he got 70% here. You know, so I think that that's an important distinction to kind of make and, and work through the scholarship piece that we have going on. And obviously, we're talking about Division One and Two right now um, because Division Three does not offer any scholarships. It's all need-based money and, and merit and academic money. Um, you know, so it's it, there, there's no athletic aid at the Division Three level. So if you're wondering why we're not necessarily delving into the Division Three realm, it's because there is no athletic scholarship. We'll get into that here in a couple minutes, but. Not from a scholarship standpoint. Well said. The other, the other thing I think is important to break down from a structure standpoint when it comes to the rosters beyond just the scholarships is like what is a what does a Division One roster look like? Like what's a forty man roster to Division One level look like? And once again, this is not an absolute. This is a ballpark figure. You're going to have some one offs here. Some coaches are going to want a couple extra position guys. Some guys are going to lean a little heavier on the arms, development, all that kind of stuff. But some of this stuff, the math should be really simple. 
but I've had some conversations with some people and you give them the number and they go, they have that many guys. It's like, well, yeah, that's how you fill out a 40 person roster. And I think what this speaks to the, one of my big takeaways from a recruiting perspective here is there's a ton of competition when you get to campus and most of it is in your own dugout. But here's a, here's a high level breakdown of a 40 man. You got 22 arms, 18 position guys. 22 sounds like a lot, but you got your your 8 to 10 dudes that you really want to throw if you're good, right? Like, you know, some of these really good schools can go a little bit deeper than that if they have to. But, I mean, let's be honest, most pitching coaches, they got eight guys they want to throw, um, you know, especially when it comes to big spots. So, and then you got a group of guys that are fighting to get in that group, and then you've got, you know, pretty much purely developmental guys that you're – you're going to bring them along the best you can. So you got you got 22 arms. You got 18 position guys, and this is a breakdown I have um, that I think is probably fairly common. But generally, you're going to carry four catchers, definitely three. Um, a lot of times, four. Sometimes that fourth dude might play another position well or have an opportunity to play another position. But generally, you need four dudes uh, behind the plate, four middle infield types, shortstop, second base types, four corner infield types third base, first base, a lot of flexibility over at first base in today's game. Uh, it's not send the big over, ogre over there who can hit and let him just catch balls that get hit in his chest. A little bit different game now, so you're going to see a lot of corner third base types are going to end up at first base, um, and then six outfielders. So that's my breakdown. What do you got, Coach? How do you feel about those numbers? Give it to me straight. I, I don't really – I, I mean, if we're splitting hairs, like there might be one or two guys you can sub out, but I, I don't think that there's there's nothing extravagant that I would change out of that. I think that that is, generally speaking, what everyone is is attempting to do. You know, I, the only the only things that might change here and there is if you have a guy, a high level guy who who might be able to do both, depending on on the level you're at. Like that might change a couple numbers, but. Other than that, I, I wouldn't change a whole hell of a lot there. Yeah, and you got multiples there too, right? Like you got guys who can move around the field a little bit. Um, I don't think you get pigeonholed in college positionally quite as much as people think they do. You know, you got outfielders. You've got center fielders, and then you have outfielders. And usually your next best defender is going to go in right. Um, left field at the college level for a lot of places is – the next best athlete who can hit. Um, not that left field's a throwaway position, but probably the least important defensive position in college baseball right now. I think first base has become increasingly more important, and we've talked about this. You know, you, that guy touches the ball a lot, and you want somebody over there who's pretty good. Um, so you get a lot of multiples. You get some infielders who can go to the outfield. Um, so, yeah, a lot of flexibility there positionally, but you know, I think the big takeaway for me is you know, 40 guys, like there's a ton of competition on campus that you need to, when you get there as a freshman, you need to rec you need to recognize that the competition isn't, is only in the other dugout on game day. Otherwise you got to compete with the dudes that you're in the locker room with every day. If you want to play, you, you know, if you're the third catcher, you want to get in the mix, you better get better than the second dude. Um, 
you know, if you're that second dude, you, you know, you want to get more playing time, like you better be really good when you get that, you know, you get that Sunday start or you get that midweek start. Um, you know, he's rarely any like true platoons at positions. Um, you know, you get some mix and match left-handed, right-handed type stuff. You know, you get some guys from the bats with DHs, but you know, in general, like you're not really platooning guys at shortstop. You're going to need to beat somebody out. You know, you're going to need to be the best option. Um, so, ton of competition there. And I mean, I think on the mound is where better prove it. Like, better get guys out because there's there's plenty of dudes behind you that are that probably got pretty good stuff. So, um, that competition piece is really important for guys to wrap their head around that you're not going to get handed anything at the college level. You're going to have to earn it. I um, mean, you have to earn it every step of the way. Yeah, I think the 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 pitching pitching side of it is is big. Right. Like you're you're gonna have a bunch of dudes that you're gonna have to be better than. You know, if you want to throw high leverage innings, you gotta be in that top ten. Definitely in the top ten on your pitching staff if you want to throw high leverage innings. So there's a lot of guys you're gonna have to be better than in order to to be in those those spots to throw those high leverage innings. I think we hit scholarship stuff pretty good. Mm-hmm. I do want to hit on Division Three before we get to the types of offers, though. And I think you're the man to have this conversation because you've been a head coach at that level and kind of talk through. So I actually got this question from a from a coach the other day about a kid who's looking to to make a commitment to a Division Three school, and they're asking, "Well, like, well, do I sign anything? Like, what's the commitment level?" Um, which I think are all good questions to ask, but I think we could probably clear the air on all that. Yeah, certainly. The um, Division Three is obviously a little bit different, right? Like there's, there's going to be a lot more, um, you know, kind of uh, verbal commitments um, where Division Three can get a little bit more. There is no, you know, letter of intent per se that you'll sign at the Division Three level. There is a celebratory letter of intent that you can sign. You can actually sign a hundred of them if you want to. It's non-binding, um, but it is for student athletes who are committed to go to a college and they're going to celebrate and have signing days with with a bunch of people. They can sign their celebratory um, letter of intent and, and be able to do those things from a, a social media and, and you know media standpoint where you go to school and they have signing days for everyone who's going to play college athletics. Where Division three gets a little bit different um, you know, and where the commitment kind of becomes, you know, binding for them is that a lot of division three schools will try to get guys to, you know, commit right around now into, you know, November into December. So, you know, when I was at RPI and I know a lot of division three schools and, and a lot of schools really in general have this is you have, you know, the, the different types of, um, admissions deadlines that you can apply to. So like RPI early decision one, they had early decision two, and then they had regular decision. I know they have since added early action. So, you know, don't come at me on here. Um, You know, but they all had kind of rigid notification dates, but early decision one was November 15th. You found out mid-December when you were going to, if you were admitted, Early decision two is December 15th. You found out mid-January and regular decision was January 15th. You found out mid-March whether or not you were admitted. But early decision at the college level is binding in that you get accepted. You are going to commit to that college pending financial hardship or difficulty and not being able to go. 
So, you know, a lot of division three schools, I, I can't speak for all of them, but a lot of them can do, you know, what I always, what we called at RPI an early read, where I would get your academic information and your transcripts, test scores, all those things, kick it over admissions. They would say, yeah, this kid, as long as he doesn't fail all of his classes senior year, he'll be likely to admitted. You'd get a, a merit scholarship piece. And then I would send that back to the kid. And then we would have a conversation about, you know, this is what the offer would be. I'm offering you a, a roster spot. And we'd go from there. You know, what I, my goal was to have about a quarter to 30% of my class committed in early decision one, another quarter to 30%, if not, you know, maybe a tad bit more in, in early decision two. And then, you know, maybe wrap up with, you know, I'd, you know, I'd probably a little bit higher. I'd probably say 30 to 40 in early decision two. So that I'm about 70% of guys that are committed that I need. And look, like realistically, I'm only bringing in about 10 guys, right? At most per year. You know, I'm not looking at, I was never looking to have a roster of 40. I had it my last year. It was, it was too many guys. You know, I was really living in the, the 32 to 34, 35 ish range, you know, so you're really looking at bringing in seven or eight guys a year. So if I can get six guys in early decision one and two, I'm, I have a, a number of guys that are going to apply regular decision. We're going to go from there. If I end up with three or four, great. If I end up with two, awesome. My class is filled. Um, you know, so like the early decision piece is where it becomes, you know, binding where that commitment is like, okay, like, you know what you're getting, you're going to come here. We're committing to you being on our roster for at least one year. Um, you know, as long as you don't screw up and do a bunch of stuff, like you'd be with us for four years, things like that. Um, you know, so that's kind of where that's where division three, I, I think, is is obviously a lot different. But that's kind of where a lot of guys will, you know, try to get guys to go early decision one or two, depending on what the time frame is to get them to commit to their school, to their program, things like that. And like, I get it, like division three, obviously, because there's no academic or no athletic money, you know, the academic, academic and financial aid piece plays a huge role because a lot of those colleges are expensive like let's call it what it is like they're expensive so you want to know what you're kind of getting into before you go there and the flip side is you're getting a phenomenal education you're likely going to start out making a, a decent amount of money but that doesn't negate the fact that you know it can be rather expensive for you so you know trying to get guys in early decision one and two is really what you're trying to do um you know for, obviously for multiple reasons to lock those guys up to get the commitment but also to be able to start relaxing a little bit and then getting into the following year's class where you can start following up with those guys over the winter and into the spring and into you know what catch those guys play so you can watch them in the summer and you're not kind of sweating it out through regular decision hoping that you're going to get you know seven eight nine guys out of regular decision who obviously have you know multiple other offers out there as well you know so that's kind of that's the big distinction between division three and division one and two that's not to say that you know guys at the division one level aren't going early decision. Like they are, they've committed, they have their scholar, they have their whole package. They can go early decision to be done. Um, you know, but that's where, that's kind of the big thing with division three and the flip side or the, the other good thing to it at the division three level is this does act as though, you know, early decision one and two or however it's set up in schools that you're applying to, it'll allow you very quickly to, it's almost like rolling admissions. They're going to tell you relatively quickly, like, yeah, you're in, here's your financial aid package. This is what you got. You already know in four weeks, you're done. So by mid-December, you're done with the admissions process. You know you're into school, you got your financial aid package, you know you're on the team, and now you can just 
go to class, make sure you can enjoy the second semester, you know, whatever, the second half of your senior year and go enjoy playing baseball and, and doing the things it is that you want to do um, versus kind of having to sweat it out over the course of, um, you know, through March into your high school season, things like that. So it's kind of the, the, the one that's how we at Division Three would kind of work it so that it, it mirrored a little bit more of the, the scholarship type programs and, and you were done before the new year was over out. You're in, I should say. Old year out, new year in. I hope that makes sense. It does. The only thing I would add from my personal experience with it is that specifically with academic schools, and obviously RPI was one of those academic schools, that sometimes ED is the only way you can get in. Um, so that's another push that coaches will make sometimes too, is that ED is like your de facto national letter of intent like if you apply early decision like you've made your commitment to that school but we used to run into it at vassar being as selective as it was that there's certain guys that we would get a read back from admissions and say hey if he's coming here he has to apply early decision he's not getting in if he applies regular um so sometimes that academic feedback's important and i know it was always felt good as a coach that when you got a kid that wanted to go ed1 it's like all right that kid like we got him. Like we got the guy that we were looking for. So, um, but Division Three, like the timelines are a little bit slower, but it gets hot and heavy in July and August, and you're starting to see kids commit to Division Three schools a lot earlier. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of all for it because I think it shows that they're committed to something very particular, right? Like if you know you like a coaching staff and they got the education you want and you're not going to sit there and be stubborn about chasing the division one thing. And you know, you found a really good fit. Um, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, there's, there's just so many good options there at the division three level from a baseball and an academic perspective that, you know, if you get an opportunity to play at that level and a coach says, Hey, we want you here. Yeah. There's not going to be something binding outside of your admissions application. You're not going to sign a national letter of intent. Um, you know, if a coach tells you that he wants you there, then, you know, they, they want you there. And there's, there's a certain level of commitment that comes from coaches too. So. Yeah. And I think the division three and to, to, to wrap this up, this section, um, you know, with division three too, like it's, it's really good baseball. And, and I think when it's being played at the high levels and, and guys are really starting to kind of figure out like, okay, I'm, I can really be a guy at this level at it for a program that is, is really good and has been super successful, or I could be the 40th guy on this division one. Like I think people are starting to weigh that a little bit and, you know, choose the option that is a better fit for them academically, athletically, where, you know, you could, you have an opportunity to play right away, you know, and that's, uh, that's, it's awesome because it, it's making division three far more competitive uh, across the board. Couldn't agree more. So types of offers, right? We're kind of back to the back to the scholarship stuff. We'll, we'll kind of be more like Division One, Division Two with this piece here. But for me, I always kind of framed it into three, right? You've got your money guys, guys you're giving athletic money to, right? There's your obvious offer. Um, the other one is a roster spot guy, which is going to be one of those dudes that. You know, is one of those at least eight guys who's going to be on the roster who doesn't have any athletic money tied to their their setup, and those are going to be guaranteed at least for that first year. Hey, man, you we're going to guarantee that you get a uniform. What you do with it from there, we'll see. Um, 
And then there's that third, some people like to call it like a preferred walk-on. Um, that's more the guy where a coach will say, hey, if you get in here and you want to be here and this is the school you want to be in, we'll give you the fall to make the team. No guarantees. Uh, but those are those are kind of the three most common. I'm sure there's some slightly in-between stuff, but what are your thoughts on how I broke that down? The the scholarship guy is always going to be there. And, you know, I think where the preferred or recruited walk-on, whatever you want to call them, you know, I think sometimes depending on the what how the coach runs the program depends on how many of those roster spots will be given out. Because I do think there are some programs that have a straight up, like we're just going to recruit guys, give roster spots, and that's where we're at. And then there's other like, okay, like we're going to leave two spots open and we're going to have two or three guys that we're going to offer the fall to that we need to see a little bit more of. And, and it obviously varies program to program um, for what they want to do. But, you know, I, I, the, the other is, and, and I, you know, you could, depending on the program, like some schools do run walk-on tryouts, like you could walk on and try out. Um, I don't necessarily know how prevalent that is anymore uh, across a lot of divisions. I, I don't, you know, I, I think with a, a roster of 40, if you have 40 and you likely have a, a handful more, um, I don't know if you're really apt to hold tryouts to, to add more people to the mix um, because you're going to have to cut down to 40 anyways. Um, you know, I, I would I, I would think in in the, this day and age, the majority of these programs are are not necessarily having straight up walk on tryouts um, for people who want to play. So, you know, I, I think it's a lot more geared towards the the three that you just laid out. Um, but I think it varies program to program whether or not people are going to have the entire fall to make the team. And, and I, I think it's a, it's there's. You know, the the fall is more or less an extended tryout, right? Like it's instead of doing it on a, a weekend for two days or one day or whatever, like it's, hey, we'll give you four weeks or we'll give you literally the entire fall workouts and individuals and games and practice and everything um, type stuff. So, you know, I, I agree with them. I just think it varies program to program what they might leave open for, um for that walk recruited walk on because again if you're up to 40 and then you're giving guys the fall like you're going to be cutting people you know i don't necessarily know what that looks like program to program um but it's out there i think i i'll add this i do think that the being offered the fall with no guarantee of being on the roster is a little bit more prevalent at the division three level and the division two level than it is at the division one level because there are no real roster limits at the division two level and, you know, division three, you know, you might not, you know, if you're an East coast guy and you can't get out to the West coast to see, you know, a player more than once and you saw him once and he was pretty good and his video looks okay. And he's coming to school because he got in and he wants to go to the school academically. Like, all right, man, like I'll give you the fall to see what happens. Like no guarantees, but I'll give you the fall. You know, I, I think that's a little like it's a little bit more prevalent at the division one or excuse me, the division three and two level than maybe at the division one. Not to say it, it doesn't happen, but that's an old school Marist baseball hoodie that you have on. I'm sorry, everybody. I digress. But Andy is wearing a hoodie from when we were in college like 22 years ago. Um, I love it. 
I have a gray one that looks just like that. Um, sorry, that threw me for a loop. I didn't think that, that was what you Um but I, again, I, I think that the like it's not to say that the the recruit the you know having the opportunity to, to work out for the fall with the team is not you know an opportunity given at the Division One level. I just think it's more prevalent at the the Division Two II and Three level. I also think, and in here we'll I'll I'll just I'll tidy this up for us in that there are scholarship opportunities at the junior college and NAI level for people that are listening, you know, the JUCO level division one, two, and three, it's broken into division one. Um, they offer full athletic scholarships. There's a limit, um, but it covers everything, tuition, room and board, books, fees, and they can pay for you to go to and from campus. And then division two is the same thing, except they can't pay for you to go to campus. Um, division three, there are no athletic scholarships at the JUCO level. And then the, NAI has 12 baseball scholarships to hand out. So they, the programmers can do with that money how they see fit. They can break it up any way they want. It, it, there's no real rules, but the, you know, kind of the idea is that everyone has the same. You figure out what's best for your program. So it's not to say that all scholarship opportunities are only available at the Division One and Two NCA level. They are also available at the JUCO level and NAIA as well. I would be remiss to not mention that. I'm glad you did. A lot of a lot of money out there for baseball if you're willing to look for it and you're willing to be open to different opportunities. Um, we People who listen here know that we're a, a fan of junior college baseball for a lot of different reasons and you know NAIA for that matter as well. Um, well, Coach, I think we covered what we intended to cover this evening. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, I, I don't think so. I think we, I, I think we covered a, a whole hell of a lot of scholarships and and money and offers and stacking and and everything else. I'd, this might be something that we might have to do some shorts on to to pull the thread a little bit more. But I, I do think that there's, you know, there's a there's a lot of information that was just thrown at people. So if you got to listen back, do it or. Better yet, reach out to us. We'll be able to help you and, and answer these questions. That's a great suggestion, Coach. On the interwebs. On the interwebs. Speaking of the interwebs, if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Throttle it, if you will. Not all. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at EMD Baseball on Twitter and on Instagram. And to Keith's point, if you want to get in touch with us, you could obviously DM us or message us on Instagram. But if you want to get in touch with us through a more official mechanism, go to our website, emdbaseball.com. Plenty of information on there about who we are, what we do, uh, why we're good at what we do, and how we try to educate and help families navigate the recruiting process. So thank you for listening. Have a great evening. We'll catch up with everybody next week. Thanks, everybody.